Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinational companies by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data to help power their emerging markets business strategies. My name is Joel Whitaker, and I'm FSG's Global Head of Research. I'm joined today by our practice leader for Latin America, Pablo Gonzalez, who's here to talk to us about his outlook for the Brazilian economy up to 2020 and its implications for multinationals. As a reminder, this research and all of our content is available via our portal at FrontierStrategyGroup.com. Well, Pablo, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. I'm uh, really excited to speak to you about our our recent outlook for the Brazilian market, um, especially the long-term view that's really crucial for companies to take right now. Uh, but before we get into the, the five-year horizon, uh, you've been in Brazil. Well, you're there on a regular basis. You were there just recently. Uh, the news that a lot of international executives get is not that good. It's shifted into recession. Uh, there was a downgrade from Standard and Poor's. Uh, there was a lot of talk about impeachment of the president. That sounds like, like uh, chaos, but, of course, we have many clients that are actively doing business there. What's the mood on the ground amongst the companies that you're talking to, the executives? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. I would say that uh, every person doing business in Brazil knows that this is not just uh, an economic crisis. It's really a political crisis and what I call a, a deep crisis of, of confidence on the part of business and consumers. What I can tell you is that Brazilians know that the situation has been worse in the past, and probably younger folks they always forget about hyperinflation in the 80s and 90s. So I guess this is just a question of weathering the storm and preparing for recovery. Having said that, there are many executives that worry about their ability to tap into resources for Brazil, taking into account that there are other regions uh, growing faster, other countries, certainly Southeast Asia, growing faster. So they fear that it's going to be harder for them to tap into those resources. Yeah, so Brazilians in charge of Brazil, even for a, a global company, uh, they probably feel like they've seen some of these elements before and they're ready to to uh, stick it out. That's right. Yeah. Uh, of course, the question then from headquarters perspective is how does Brazil fit in from a per portfolio perspective? And that's a longer term question, uh, which probably takes us to the, the focus for this conversation, which is the 2020 lens. I think the, the key question uh, for this is not just where do we land in 2016, though that'll be helpful to know, but when does your analysis indicate that we can expect the Brazilian economy to truly recover? So um, in this report, I identified the four or five reasons, to be honest with you, that uh, Brazil needs to, or the five challenges that Brazil needs to address in order to recover. And, and those are obviously the same reasons that are driving recession right now. So the first one is fiscal consolidation that has failed. Uh, and that means that the government will probably need to increase more taxes next year, implement additional budget cuts. So usually fiscal policy is not going to be conducive to growth, probably until 2017. Then the second challenge that Brazil needs to address is the impact that corruption scandals are having on investment. So here what comes to mind is obviously the uh, famous car wash uh, Petrobras scandal. We need to take into account that Petrobras investment accounts for 10% of total investment in Brazil. So until Petrobras does not resume investment, it's going to be very hard for investment to pick up, uh, which is very tied to the third challenge, which is about falling purchasing power. 
for the first time in many, many years. So we're in a situation in which for the first time, real wages are going down. This is reflective of unemployment rising. So you really need investment to, keep, to pick up for unemployment to recover and consumers regain purchasing power. Inflation is also obviously uh, detracting from that. And then I would say a, a fourth factor that probably not too many people are paying attention to is what we call credit squeeze. So we are in a situation in which uh, both households and businesses are much more leveraged than they were 10 years ago. Even some companies, they took on a lot of debt in US dollars. You can imagine now with the HAL trading at four, that's becoming a problem. So for consumption investment to really pick up, you need both consumers and businesses to either deleverage or you need interest rates to go down. And that will not happen probably until 2017 either. Right, so we're in a situation in which the economy will probably not return to positive growth until mid 2017. Mm -hmm. And how many of those different factors that you mentioned really all have to go right at the same time? Is there some sequence, or you can see some sort of paving the way for others? So I would say every recovery, and especially in Brazil, needs to start with investment recovery. A recovery. Um, and again, uh, investment is not that it's been falling only this year. It's been falling already for two consecutive years. So that's really driving most of the recession. If you think about consumption recovering, uh, that needs to start with unemployment recovering. And again, that will not happen until investment recovers. And, and something that, again, Brazilians rightfully so talk about is uh, business and consumer confidence, right? So when you they talk about political crisis, what it ends up boiling down to is business and confidence being in historic lows. So obviously we think about consumption recovery, especially for durable goods, cars, uh, TVs, etc. You need uh, consumers to feel more confident about their own future and the same for businesses, right? They need to uh, be in a situation where they trust what the government is doing and that the government is putting the economy back on track. Yeah. So confidence comes at, uh, is facing a challenge from two different directions, right? One is the underlying health of the economy and its resilience when the global economy isn't helping Brazil the way it has been. And then the other is political. Let's come back to the, the second part there, the political part. Uh, you talked about the car wash uh, scandal. Uh, and for those listeners who, who don't know that, just Google car wash of Petrobras. There's a good story behind why it's called that. Um, the... Uh, the scandal that is not sort of started with Dilma Rousseff, but has now engulfed the presidency of Dilma Rousseff in it, has generated a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And that in and of itself has exacerbated all the underlying uh, confidence problems. So uh, talk a little bit about how the impeachment conversation and the much larger Petrobras scandal hold down confidence and then where's the light at the end of the tunnel there sure so that that's a very good question i would say that uh the probably original sin or problem is that president rousseff was re-elected in uh, october 2014 with only 51 percent of the votes so she already started with a very weak mandate and there were many people in brazil who wanted their head politically speaking obviously right now with the economy going down, everybody knew that there's going to be an economic adjustment. This is being felt by both businesses and consumers. If on top of that, you have a big corruption scandal, you have the recipe for disaster, right? Now we have President Rousseff, her approval rating being uh, lower than 8%, which is certainly the lowest 
for any president right now, and the lowest for any Brazilian president since 1987, when President Collor Gimelo was impeached. So this is obviously feeling um, talks of impeachment. What's interesting is in, that in my report, I do have a political transition before the 2018 election as a positive disruptor to the economy. And I would say an, an impeachment is very disruptive. It's not a good precedent for any democratic regime. But uh, Dilma's isolation is so big right now that it would probably be something good for the economy because it would allow for a more stable coalition in Congress to execute on the fiscal consolidation, which I think is, is really key for investment recovery. Yeah, yeah. And what gives you uh, the most confidence that there's a, an upside scenario on the other side of impeachment? It's one thing to say the, the current president is out. It's another thing to say what the new political uh, cast of characters looks like. So what's, what's the good scenario that really, what's that look like? So the, the good scenario and something we need to understand about an impeachment is that it needs a, a majority of votes in Congress. And that would mean that uh, both the PNDB and the PSDB, which are the biggest parties apart from the PT, agree to impeach uh, President Rousseff. And that obviously will come with a previous agreement as to, okay, what is it that we want to do with the country after President Rousseff is out. So that gives me, if, he, if an impeachment were to happen, which by the way is not my base case, and I can explain that uh, in a second, uh, an impeachment would probably lead to a more stable uh, coalition in Congress that would be more conducive for, or to the reforms that Brazil needs to first tackle growing fiscal deficits, but most importantly, to resume growth. Brazil doesn't have a growth plan um, as of now, and Brazil needs, needs that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, close the readers of our reports know that all of our uh, long term reports, what we call ahead of the curve, uh, tend to have uh, scenarios within them. So we have our base case view, which you've already articulated, and then uh, an upside, uh, which is very clear here, and then also a downside. What's the key downside disruptor that you're worried about that would take us below our base case view of that 2017 turnaround? So in terms of um, downside disruptors, I would say the elephant in the room would be if China were to decelerate much more rapidly than we've seen until now. So at FSG, we've already downgraded our forecast for China slightly, um, reflecting a soft landing. If we were to see, for instance, a financial crisis in China that would take the Chinese economy uh, more you know, downhill more rapidly, that would obviously affect not just Brazil, but really the global economy. And we need to understand that China is the uh, most important trading partner for Brazil. Then, uh, more internally speaking, I'm worried about business and consumer confidence not recovering until 2018. Uh, we've talked about the Lava Jato corruption scandals. There are other Pandora boxes that could be open, for instance, with the state-owned bank Benedese. So if you were to see another major corruption scandal, we would be talking about um, probably a recession extending uh, maybe until 2018. Yeah, yeah. So the strategic planning lesson here for the long term is uh, you. we think that clients should assume a base case that uh, there's a real recovery taking place in 2017. But if for whatever reason their strategy really can't accommodate the risk of uh, 2018 or maybe even a little bit further continued uh, recession to stagnation, then they should be very, very cautious about that additional level of investment that might be required. Yes, and, and just to put some numbers, my base case scenario of recovery in 2017, 
I'm attaching a 65% likelihood, so that's still my base case. I would be surprised if recession went over that. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the overall economic expectation, what determines the upside, the downside. Uh, let's shift gears to talk about how to do business effectively in Brazil. It's an incredibly dynamic economy. Uh, it's much more evolved as a place to do business than it was five or 10 years ago. So looking five years into the future, it's going to change. And you say in your report that the market landscape is going to be meaningfully different. So uh, tell us some more. So uh, something that I wanted to do in this report is not just to talk about the macro. I think there's a lot of noise going on, and I think our clients should be uh, focusing more on what to do about it. And what I see is the market landscape really changing from now until 2020. So if you think about markets like uh, the three components that it has, uh, starting with uh, the competitive landscape, there, uh, there is research out there that suggests that in any given recession anywhere in the world, uh, on average, 17% of companies go out of business. Right, so we don't know what the exact number is going to be in Brazil, but uh, you'll probably see um, along the supply chain a lot of industry consolidation, right? So because of companies going bankrupt, because they, they're going to get acquired, or because they go private. Um, and actually, I did ask this question to our clients in Sao Paulo, where they thought that trend was going to be positive for their business. 70% uh, said that yes, and the vast majority also expect to gain market share vis-a-vis -vis domestic companies. So I would say multinationals are in a much better position than domestic companies because they can tap into international financing, but most importantly, they have the luxury uh, to, to maybe lose some money for a couple of years because they can subsidize that with uh, profits in other markets. Yeah, interesting that the, uh, the number one driver of consolidation across the foods industry has actually been a Brazilian private equity firm really trying to drive uh, big changes in industry structure. Uh, interesting to think about how that kind of dynamic could take hold in many more industries. Sure. Uh, so consolidation is certainly going to happen. The talking about the second component, which refers about uh, or refers to sorry customer demands, I do see customer demands and customer behavior really changing, regardless of whether you are a B two C, B two B, or healthcare company. So if you think about B two C companies, they're going to have to deal with consumers that are much more price sensitive, they're going to demand more value-added services. If you're talking about a B2B uh, company, their clients are seeing margins fall, sales falling, they're also going to become much more price sensitive, and that's why we say that uh, CapEx uh, is going to be deprioritized uh, and OPEX is going to become more important right now. And when you think about B2G companies, they're going to have to deal with governments that are uh, budget constrained. So the fiscal austerity uh, that we've seen that's going to be maintained at least for a couple of years. So if you want to sell to the government at all three levels of government, you're also going to need to be more intelligent about uh, pricing, value-added services, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So those are some pretty big changes. Uh, the other thing, of course, that's uh, top of mind for international business in Brazil is the cost of doing business there, the famous Custo Brazil, high wages, uh, uh, lots of regulation and, and red tape. Do you think that there will be similarly large changes in that part of the landscape in five years? So the good news is I do see some of the cost components getting better. On average, unfortunately, I don't think the cost of doing business is going to improve dramatically. And the reason for that is in terms of thinking about the, the positive ones, I think wages, we're going to have a positive story with wages, not necessarily talent shortages, but really the cost of talent. 
because obviously when unemployment goes up, wages go down. And we see, for instance, we poll our clients about average wage increases for 2015. Those are around 8.3%, which is below inflation, and this is something new. Uh, any Real kind of wages will go down, even though on paper they'll keep going up. Exactly. And this is something that our clients have always complained about. They didn't understand why wages were not going down when the economy started to slow down in 2011. Then when you think about access to finance, when inflation goes down, interest rates should go down. So the, the sort of credit squeeze that we see now is, is, more, uh, is temporary. I would say the cost factor that is going to worsen over the, the next couple of, of two years or three is going to be the exchange rate. So despite all the volatility that we've seen already, we do expect they have to continue to depreciate against the U.S. dollar. And that's going to be predicated upon um, the expectations that we have of an interest rate hike in the U.S. So for foreign companies, they're in for the long haul. Uh, there is a recovery in sight so long as you've got your binoculars. And there's some real interesting changes to the landscape which could, uh, in which a, a foreign company could be advantaged. What are the key things that foreign companies should be doing now to be positioning themselves well for that 2020 deal? So I would say there are probably uh, three key strategies that should be putting in place. The first one is uh, defending sales volumes. And to be honest with you, we, we do have some clients that are doing very well, especially those selling into premium segments, some healthcare companies, but on average, most of our clients, even if they're not in the negative territory, sales are, are not going as fast as they used to, right? So now they're gonna need to play a game of defending those sales volumes. And there's obviously many things they can do more from a tactical perspective with pricing, extending credit to partners and customers. And then more strategically, for instance, looking into new pockets of opportunities within Brazil. Uh, and that means obviously entering new geographies or segments. And very importantly, channel performance, supporting channel performance is key, not just in a recession, but uh, really at any point in time. And at FSG, we've helped many clients developing very sound distribution management processes. And that really makes a difference to sustain sales. Uh, so that's one thing. The other would be obviously to take, uh, there is good momentum to become more cost efficient. And that's not necessarily mean firing people. And that's what probably comes to mind to many clients. But there's also research, research that proves that uh, cutting co cost of goods sold is important, but maintaining investments is also very important to capture upside opportunity once the economy recovers. So yes, cut costs, but intelligently, and don't shoot yourself in the foot. And then finally, I would say the third thing, the, the f last thing they should be doing is taking advantage of cheap assets, right? So cheap assets um, is not just a consequence of the depreciation of the HEAL, but certainly valuation of companies has gone down dramatically since the peak of M&A in 2011, right? So that means it's gonna be much cheaper uh, to buy companies in Brazil. So for instance, you're thinking about acquiring capabilities such as local production. It's probably the best time to find a company that produces local and already un and acquire it. But the same goes if you want to transition from an indirect to a direct model, or if you want to grow market share, certainly strategic acquisitions are becoming much more attractive right now. 
Well, thank you, Pablo. Uh, I think very clear message coming through out of this that if you look past some of the volatility and and the uh, concerning news, all of which is valid right now, you see in the longer term that there is room for foreign multinationals to make some pretty creative strategic moves that could leave them in a very different position in 2020, just as Brazil will be in a very different position by 2020. So lots of um, of actionable insights there. Uh, Of course, uh, for those of you listening to this podcast who are our clients at Frontier Strategy Group, you can speak with Pablo uh, or any of our analysts by reaching out to us uh, directly or via your account manager. And you can get all of the FSG resources on Brazil by visiting our portal at FrontierStrategyGroup.com. Thank you again, Pablo. For now, that concludes our podcast. And until next time, we wish you great outperformance in your emerging markets. 